Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are in Genesis chapter 3. We're looking at the fall, the fall. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go uh, actually at uh, 2.25 through 3.7 this morning. So if you'd go ahead and uh, locate that text. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we uh, now turn to your word, thank you that your word is holy. It is uh, pure. It is faultless. It tells the truth about life. tells the truth about the history of the world and gives us ammunition on how to deal with our own temptations and our own uh, ways to keep from falling. So as we look at our first parents, Lord, and how they fell, and the sad consequences of it, give us insight into how we might deal with the schemes of the evil one. You tell us in your word there's a real devil. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You tell us to be firm in our faith and resist him. And we know there's a spiritual battle, Lord. We all sense it. We all feel it. So just help us to be aware of his schemes. We're not to be ignorant of his schemes. But this morning as we talk about these things, give us a spiritual covering, eyes to, to see, ears to hear what your spirit would say to your people. We lay this time at your feet that you might be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The fall. So we're going to look at the fall of Adam and Eve. This is the, a pivotal moment in the Bible. The first 11 chapters of Genesis establish some very important things. And we're looking at the fall of mankind. And as I mentioned in the prayer, the practical application this morning is you're going to find ways in this text to hopefully keep from falling yourself to temptation. Now, we're all tempted. Uh, To be tempted is not to sin. Uh, Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's doing something, acting upon that temptation, which is sin. Jesus himself was tempted. Of course, he was sinless. He was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. So he can offer us help and insight And we do know that when he was tempted in Matthew 4, and Luke 4 also records this, he used God's word. Three times he he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the devil fled from him. And the Bible tells us, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil. The, first, the best thing that you can do as a Christian, James 4, 7, is first submit to God, then you'll be able to resist the devil, and the promise is that he will flee from you. There is a literal Satan. He literally tempted Jesus. He literally spoke through Peter when Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. There is a spiritual battle. You must be aware of it. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13 say the same thing. And then alert us that we have spiritual armor to deal with the spiritual battle. Armor is for protection. 
God has given you seven pieces of armor listed in, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Um, when you put that armor on, it's spiritual covering for a spiritual battle. So we're going to get insights into how to keep from falling in the fall chapter. First, we start with Genesis 2.25. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, in Genesis 2.24, we ended last time by uh, looking at the text that says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and what? Cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The great marriage verse quoted by Jesus in Matthew 19, quoted by Paul in Ephesians 5, is from Genesis 2.24. And it interests me that right after this early pronouncement of marriage, before there was ever government or a church, there was a family. Now, right on the heels of that, we have the record of the fall. And we do know that the enemy is a usurper and a divider, and he will try to divide your marriage. You can take it to the bank. He is a divider of households, churches, and if you doubt it, remember that he even caused a split in heaven. Revelation 12 tells us he took a third of the stars. And sometimes we're surprised. How could a church split over that? Who got a piece of, bigger piece of prime beef at the church potluck? Well, that's how it works. He's a divider. You've got to be aware of his tactics. He's a usurper. But at this point in man's history, the man, Genesis 2.25, and his wife, just a side note, Adam and Eve are married. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. One man, one woman for life. I said that last Sunday. I know for some people that stirs some feelings in you, especially in light of the controversy in our culture. What does marriage mean? Who defines it? Who should be able to enjoy it? And under what parameters? Well, I told you last Sunday that you are going to have to deal with the Scripture because God defined it. A man, singular, shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife in a monogamous relationship, one man, one woman for life. And the man and his wife, Genesis 2.25. God the Father or God himself was the first one to walk a bride down the aisle. He brought her to the man, remember? And he went, whoa, man. And that was her name, right? And, yeah, now a wonderful moment. As the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Their oneness was God's plan. The oneness in marriage that the Hebrew is specifically dealing with, they shall become one flesh, is sexual. It is a physical intimacy. There is a spiritual oneness in marriage, hopefully. There is a friendship oneness in marriage, hopefully. But the two becoming one in Hebrew has more the idea of physical intimacy. And here's the deal really quick. Physical intimacy in the context of marriage is God's idea. God created it. God created it to be enjoyable God created it for procreation purposes. 
And God created it so that we would know one another. One of the ways we get to know each other, Adam getting to know her and she him, is through intimacy in marriage. It's blessed by God. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed is undefiled. In its proper setting, intimacy in marriage is blessed by God. It's His idea. But what we tend to do as humans is we take things that are holy and we dirty them. That's what's happened in our culture with sex. Now sex sells everything. Now pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's got its uh, chains on many people, many people in the church under its wrap. What's happened? Here's an illustration. If you had a beautiful lush garden in your backyard, let's say it's red roses and you water it and you've got uh, rich, deep, dark soil And these beautiful flowers are growing, roses, red roses, let's say. In its proper setting, it's beautiful. You take care of it, you you water it. But let's say that you got brand new white carpet in your house and you took a shovel and you took a pile of that dirt and you threw it on your brand new white carpet. Now it's dirty. That's what's happened with the sexual relationship. In its proper setting, where it belongs in the right time, it is blessed by God. It's fruitful. But out of its proper setting, it becomes dirty. And in our culture, we have lost, and I can tell you this from many years in the pastorate and talking to people who are considering marriage or having marital issues, is simply this. We have lost a sense of the sacred. God blesses the sexual relationship in marriage, but not outside of it. And the moment that you begin to do things your way instead of God's way, you will not be blessed. The lie of the enemy is you can be autonomous from God, you can do things your own way, and you'll still be blessed, and that is a lie. God will not bless a relationship outside of what he has laid down. Now the man and the woman are there, they are naked, but they are, they are unashamed. They were not ashamed. The word shame in Hebrew is bosh. It means to feel ashamed, to be disappointed, disconcerted. The word has overtones of being or feeling worthless. When you feel shame, you feel worthless. The essence of sin, this is what sin does to you, Sin makes you feel worthless. It exposes something about our hearts. And this is the idea of shame. We don't get self-worth from getting a participation trophy, folks, just because we participated in something. We get self-worth from living the right way, from honoring God. And when shame and sin comes in, that's what eats at self-worth. If we really want to teach our kids about how to feel good about themselves, it's walking with God. Because shame is what attacks our self-worth. And we all know it, because when we feel ashamed, we feel low. And that's where Satan wants us to be. And that's why God said, don't mess with that tree, because you're going to experience a beautiful innocence if you don't partake of it. And I believe that that tree of the knowledge of good and evil really had to do with them seeing evil for what it was. And God tried to spare them from that. And I 
drew the analogy last Sunday of how our kids are. We want to retain their innocence. In fact, little kids tend to run around naked. Have you noticed? I mean, when you think about it, they're really the only humans that are unashamed of their nakedness. Then they get old enough and, you know. Have you also noticed that humans are the only creatures that wear clothes? I'm sure you've probably noticed that. Although, some of, some of you knit those little sweaters for your dog. Stop it, would you please? Okay, it's not that bad. However, if you have a matching sweater with your dog, then stop it. So here they are, in the beauty of their relationship, unashamed. They know each other. They're comfortable with each other. This is the beauty of what marriage is about. Implied in the text is that they have come together. And they enjoy being with each other. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Everything's at their fingertips. The beauty of the Garden of Eden, all the trees except one. And they have this beautiful relationship. But sin and shame are about to come in. Sin is a word in Hebrew which means to miss the way or to miss the goal or the path. In the Hebrew picture language, it means the fence that surrounds strongly or, get this, the fence of the snake's strength. What the enemy tries to do is get you to sin so that one by one you'll build a block wall around yourself. Here's the picture of sin. You end up building a fence around yourself. You create your own prison. That's what sin is. At first, oh yeah, sin can be fun for a season. The Bible acknowledges that. But ultimately, sin, one upon another, without repentance, It builds a wall around you and others, and the way that wall comes down is through humility and repentance. If you want walls to come down in your relationships, you must humble yourself. If you want the wall to come down between you and God, you must humble yourself. And our first parents are in this beautiful garden. They're unashamed, naked and unashamed. It is interesting that the word for naked, arum, ties to the word for crafty in Genesis 3.1. Look in your Bibles, if you would, now. Transition point, Genesis 3.1. Don't know how much time has passed, but I would imagine some time has passed. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Arom, it ties to the word naked. Not sure the connection, but there is a play on words in Hebrew here. He was more crafty than any beast of the field. If you have the NIV, it says of the wild animals. Of all the talk about the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, one thing we do know about this serpent is that he was one of God's creatures that he created. So you need to just mark that. If you've been wrestling with this issue and trying to figure out, you know, what's the, what's the deal with the serpent, one thing that we know for sure, just from the plain, what's called the prima facie reading of the text, is that he was one of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. In fact, He may have even been one of the beasts that Adam named. Now, it is possible from the language of the curse later on in the chapter, supported by 3.14, the serpent is told you're going to be on your belly the rest of your days. You're going to eat dust. So it may be that the serpent, at some point in the early history of mankind, was an upright creature. 
there are, there's different historical um, beliefs and uh, related to this particular word that he was perhaps a shining upright creature, uh, stand, standing upright. There's a lot of mystical stuff about serpents. The pharaoh of Egypt wore a serpent as his crown, a cobra on his head. There's a lot of stories about mystical serpents and, and the, the, the way that they manipulated things and that kind of thing. But the serpent, the shift of the scene comes to him. His name is Nakash. And when you say the word, it's one of those words in Hebrew that when Hebrew that when you say it, you get the idea. Nakash, the hiss of the snake. What does his name mean? Well, this is a common name for serpent, but some believe that the name actually suggests a bronze shininess to him as well. In fact, later religious tradition referred to this being Nakash as Nehushtan. In 2 Kings 18.4, Hezekiah broke the bronze bronze serpent in pieces that the sons of Israel burned incense to. Some of you remember this story that Moses made a bronze serpent. He raised it up in the wilderness. Jesus refers to it in John 3. Anybody being bit by a serpent who looked at it was healed. And the bronze serpent may reflect the idea of the serpent, that he was shiny, beautiful, cunning creature, but he is a creature. Now you ask the question, well then, how is he talking? Was there a talking snake? We've heard some people mock Christianity with this. I'm going to take it at face value. I don't know how it worked exactly, but I've met some talking snakes over the years. (laughs) Heard a few on television as well. So what's going on here? Well, we do know this, that in satanic possession, when Satan is moving and manipulating things, we know there's this idea that he manipulates governments. In fact, there are two, if I were to tell you to give me cross-references from the Old Testament to support the idea that the serpent is Satan, you might struggle a little bit, but there's two places that talk about Satan in his uh, fall. His own fall. They are, you might want to write this down, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. In that passage, it's Satan's famous I will statements. And he's called Lucifer, son of the morning. He was a shining one. And he said, I'm going to raise my throne up above the stars of God. I will become like the Most High. And God says, no, you're not. You're going to be thrown down. So somewhere, maybe on day one of creation, the angels were made. They were told you're going to be ministering spirits. You're going to minister to those who will inherit salvation. They apparently cannot reproduce. They're servants of God and servants of those who will be saved. And apparently sometime in his history, Satan said, I don't like that. I don't want to be a servant of mankind. And I don't want to serve you anymore, God. And so he bailed. He left. He decided that he wanted to be like God. And he fell hard. Ezekiel 28 Verses 11 through 19 is the other passage, and it says that this being was in the Garden of Eden. And he was beautiful in appearance, and he may even have been a worship leader in heaven. And in his beauty, he got puffed up. He, was, uh, the, he had the seal of perfection on him, and he fell hard. So that Lucifer, or Satan, is simply a fallen angel. 
He was probably a high-ranking angel. Just in case you doubt the validity of the story, Jesus affirms the story in John 8.44. Paul affirms the story in 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Corinthians 11. And the whole premise of the New Testament is based upon the fall of mankind and the Redeemer, the second last Adam that comes in to save us. So whatever the mechanics are, we do know this, that the serpent has somehow manipulated an animal that God made. Now you say, well, does he do that? Well, we do know this. The king of Tyre is addressed in, in Isaiah 14, but then it goes to Satan. So the one behind the king of, or the king of Babylon, I should say, in Isaiah 14. And, and then it goes to Satan. It can't be addressing just the human king. The king of Tyre is addressed in Ezekiel 28. But behind that human king seems to be a supernatural being. And I would say to you that on good scholarship, they would believe that somehow Satan was manipulating these kings, these leaders. Some of you have seen uh, footage of Adolf Hitler. There were people who said that when Hitler spoke, he looked like he was possessed. I don't have any doubt that Satan can do that kind of thing. And in fact, history tells us that Hitler was messing with the occult. And Satan used him, and think about it, he killed probably over 20 million people, put them in ovens, fried them, and six million of them were Jews. You see, there is a, there's a deeper picture. There's something going on beneath the surface. It explains why the, the world's attention is on a little sliver of land the country of Israel, really no natural resources. It has blossomed again. Why does everybody hate that land? Why have they been uh, persecuted by Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Germany? Why are they hated? Because there's a deeper story going on here, you guys. And it has to do with this shining one who fell and him trying to upset God's plan. Now, he was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, somehow manipulating or using the serpent, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now he addresses the woman first. Uh, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if he went after Adam and Adam was able to resist or if this is the first encounter that they've had, she's probably not surprised by his presence there, but now he says something to her. And what he says is, has God, notice in end of verse 1, indeed has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now what did God actually say to the first couple through Adam? He said, you can eat of any tree. There's only one that I don't want you to partake of. And what does Satan do? He tries to plant a seed of doubt. If you're a note taker, this is Satan's attack on believers. He tries to plant a seed of doubt about God's word. And he tries to paint a picture that God's being more strict and stringent than he actually is. In fact, they had access to every tree in the garden except one. There were lust trees. They were all good for food. They were all pleasant to the eye. They could have anything that they wanted except one. What does Satan try to do? He tries to plant a seed that God's being strict. 
Boy, you can't do anything as a Christian, can you? Wow. And Christians have so many blessings, right? So many things that the Lord has saved us from and so many things that we can enjoy now that we know him. But Satan tries to get your view on what you don't have. Isn't that the way it is? You see this with little kids. They've opened the 17th Christmas present, right? And they want the box that their brother had. I want the box. Why do you want the box? You haven't even opened three of the presents. Can he get the box? I want the box. You don't have to teach them that. They're born with that sin nature. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you so much again for listening to Living Truth Radio. We're blessed to have a wonderful listening audience, and we appreciate you partnering with us in prayer and in giving if you can. But we just want to say thank you for listening, tuning in. Tell a friend about Living Truth Radio and keep us in prayer. We want to just get the Word of God out to as many people as possible. I wanted to take a moment to invite you to our website. It's livingtruthcorona.org. Last time we were together, I told you a little bit about articles that are on that website, and I think they'll be very helpful for you. I want to tell you about something else on the website, and it is sermons. We have church sermons, we have radio sermons, and we have a huge archive section at livingtruthcorona.org. And in that archive section, we have complete book teachings, both Old and New Testament in their entirety, verse by verse. Those sermons are all up there. They're all free. We give the Word of God out for free. If you want to order a CD from our ministry, contact us through the website. Let us know how we can get that into your hands. We believe in getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible and making it accessible. At livingtruthcorona.org, Under sermons, you can find church, radio, and archived sermons. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio, for praying for us. May God richly bless you and your family. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we'd like to know uh, how we're doing and drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And We uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.